This is part five of the channel introduction to St. Longinus's baptism. What I'll be covering is um, some spiritual principles and some private principles. Um, uh, Lord willing, this will be the end of the introductions and the, ne the, the next few... Uh, broadcast you here will be actual episodes, Lord willing. Um, Lord willing, we can get this done. Okay, so I'm going to lead off with lead by example. This is a personal principle of mine, and I did hold it before uh, I became a follower of Jesus Christ. However, because um, I was not being guided by him, I was following this principle. Um, I was following this principle imperfectly. Now, before I get into what my definition of lead by example is, I want to take a, a small aside here and just tell you guys, leadership should not be sought after. Not if you... Not if you truly um, want to lead by example, if you want to be a good leader. Because a good leader, even if they're not in a leadership position, understands that it's, it's a, a very, very intimidating responsibility. Because... If that person's a good leader, they understand it's a, a huge responsibility because, you know, you're trying to lead people. You're trying to lead people and their safety and welfare is on you. Okay? Their safety and welfare is on you. Now, if you're... If you're, you know, like a, uh, uh, in some sort of management position in, in a, uh, in a, in some sort of job that you hold, um, unless you're in the military, then no, it's not as big of a responsibility, but you do want to set a good example. Now, I've used a secular example there, but I'm going to use a spiritual one now. In the Vatican, there is known, um, there, there, there's a room in the Vatican known as either the sorrow room, the sorrow room, or the crying room. And basically, the reason why it's called that Obviously, not all the popes did this, but some of the popes um, did this. When they, when they were told, hey, you know, you've just been elected Pope so-and-so, they went in that room and they cried and they prayed to God because they, they understood what an awesome responsibility it was to be Pope of the Catholic Church. And... As a small aside, um, I'm not sure if it's in the gospel. I'm pretty sure it's in uh, in one of the uh, epistles of Paul, St. Paul. Um, there is a statement in the New Testament that says teachers will be judged harsher than average people because you're, 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 you're basically supposed to uh, 
set the example of what a true Catholic is, and you're also not supposed to give them any airs, even inadvertently. So, anyway, that's why they had the crying or the sorrow room in, in, in the Vatican. Um, the three things, these, these are the, the, the three principles that I held when I had, uh, when I have the, um, lead by example principle are do nothing, or I'm sorry, don't ask others to do things that you haven't done, you won't do, or you don't know how to do. Um, there are this other principles other than that, but that's just the basics. And, you know, it boils down to the very simple concept of don't ask people that you're in charge of to do anything that you wouldn't do yourself. You know, to put it as simply as I can. There are other principles of leadership too, but... I'm just covering, you know, the basics. Um, if I feel inclined, I might explain some leadership principles in a later episode. But for right now, I'm just giving generalities. Be the change you want to be. I've noticed on social media and the internet that people will complain and moan um, oh, hey, our politicians are corrupt, the system's corrupt, or uh, in, in spiritual matters, oh, well, uh, Mr. Bergoglio is doing stuff that, you know, is making Catholics look bad. And it doesn't necessarily need to be in politics or the spiritual. Um, there are other, other things that they do. But, they, but they're content just to get on social media and cry and complain rather than do something. Now, obviously, if you're not in a position to make changes, you know, you can't do, you know, you can't make the changes. However, I would also say, though, especially when it comes to government, that you make the sacrifice of researching how we got to this point and how it works. Especially since I think this dumpster fire of a society is going to eventually explode. And when it does, it's going to be ugly. And you need to prepare yourself for that eventuality. Now, if I'm wrong, all, you know, whatever research you did, you know, uh, you may view it as a waste of time, but if if I'm correct and things do go south, you're going to be really glad and you're probably going to kick yourself for not doing more research because that's generally how the things work. But um, on the spiritual realm, um, there, there's a podcaster that I, that I used to listen to on YouTube. He's a Vatican II set guy. And the guy is very successful. He's very successful. He's some sort of engineer. He has a wife and kid. He podcasts when he's not at work. Um, but he was, he was complaining about Mr. Bergoglio saying, you know, oh, I can't believe it. And I got on his comment section and I'm like, you know, why are you complaining? Um, first of all, anybody who knows their Catholic faith knows that you're not to follow somebody who's a blatant heretic. But secondly, um, you're not even supposed to you know, worship with people like that. So I, I raised that issue with him and he gave... He gave a, what I consider to be a lame excuse, you know. Oh, I don't have time. I've got a wife and kids, and I podcast, and, you know, i got to work. Well, your Catholic duty is 
you know, it's not if 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 the person claiming to be the head of the Catholic Church is doing public heretical things, it's your duty to rectify that situation. Now, obviously, he can't, you know, drop a division of paratroopers on the Vatican and, you know, put him in prison. But he 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 can what he can do is is say, okay, the person that I thought was the leader of my church uh, is a heretic. He could research. He could do a little research and try to get out. But he's whining on the internet about it. Um, you know, it's it's not useful. It's not it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Be the change you want to be. And I put that. I, you know, after he gave me what I thought was his lame excuse, he, um, one of his little minions, you know, this, this is a fairly large channel. One of his minions told me, get off our boards, heretic. And, um, in the new Testament, when Jesus, Jesus is giving his instructions to the disciples, because they were supposed to spread his kingdom of heaven his doctrine of kingdom and heaven to, to the surrounding Jewish countryside, he told them, he said, go to the towns and preach. If they reject your doctrine or they reject you, shake the dust off your feet, move on to somebody who will accept you. I, I find that to be very, very true. And I try to follow that. So I just ignored the dude. Um, but to get to my larger point, if you are the type of person that instinctively, I'm not, I'm not saying doctrinally, I'm saying instinctively understands that there can only be one way to heaven and one faith and one way of doing things, then if you honestly believe that, um... If, especially if you have a family, if you're on your own and for whatever reason you decide, eh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to take care of it. Well, it's only on you. But if you have a family, if you have people you love and you believe this, the very least you can do if you think that there's something wrong is to research, you know, if there's any alternatives. And then once there's alternatives to take, to take proper action, but whining on the internet is not, that's not, that's not an alternative. It's the equivalent of, well, life's not fair. I'm old enough to remember when adults used to tell kids whenever they said that, well, get used to it, kid. Life ain't fair at all. So just get used to it. Okay. Another, another thing I've noticed on the internet, um, like I said on an earlier episode, there's internet jargon depending on whatever you're interested in. It'll vary from interest to interest, but they all have jargon. And one of the things I was noticing uh, on, on political, uh, political internet is the term, uh, midwit. And, uh, the reason I brought up this term was I was called a midwit by somebody who disagreed with me. And what I basically answered him back was, well, okay, you think I'm a midwit. As near as I can tell, midwit is a way of putting somebody you disagree with down. And then they called me more names and I just left it at that. But basically, you know, I think it's common sense that when somebody calls you a midwit, they're implying that you're not as intelligent as they are. So, um... I wanted to address 
this. And by the way, calling somebody a midwit is really passive aggressive. You know, if you're an adult and you're being passive aggressive, you should really check your maturity levels because a mature person should not be passive aggressive. But that's my opinion. Anywho, um, but I've noticed, you know, uh, on, on the interwebs that, um, a lot of people are, are narcissistic and they think that they're the smartest, the, the best looking and, you know, um, their their wife is the hottest or their girlfriend's the hottest and they're just the best thing since sliced bread. I blame, and by the way, it's just not the internet. It's society in general. It's just really bad on the internet. But I, I, I blame, I blame the, uh, part of it's the parenting and part of it was the narrative of the 90s. And by the way, I'm not singling out millennials and Zoomers for narcissism. Obviously, not every Zoomer and millennial is a narcissist. It's a general societal thing. So there are plenty of Xers and Boomers who are uh, guilty of this as well. But I noticed, I've noticed it got real bad in the 90s. And I, and I just want to give a couple brief examples. The first one was, was the parents did not tell the kid the truth. They, they constantly bombarded them. You know, even, even if they were being a little craphead, they constantly bombarded them with, you know, oh, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're going to be the president of the United, you know. And they did this. And by the way, it's not just the parents. Because at school, they did the same thing. If the, the kid played soccer, um, if the kid played soccer, you know, the soccer coaches, oh, you're, you're going to be the next Pele. You're, you're going to knock him dead, kid. And you do this to an impressionable kid, he's going to get a swelled head. It's just natural. The second part of it, and this is the parents' fault, was any criticism of their kid, no matter how justified it was, if it was a teacher, a coach or whatever, they, they would get in that guy's face and tell him, you better knock it off or I'll get you fired. And, you know, knowing boomers, they, they were probably a lot meaner about it than I just said. But, you know, they defended their kid to the hilt. The kid could have stabbed the fellow student in the heart, cut his heart out, and started eating it in the middle of the playground, and his parents would have swore up and down, my, my little Jimmy or my little Jill, she, she, they didn't do nothing. They didn't do nothing wrong. They're just expressing themselves, and you guys are persecuting my kid. And one more example, everybody gets a trophy. Now, like I said, this is not necessarily a thing that started in the 90s. But in the 90s, that, that principle did blow up. Because, you know, I'm sure during the boomer era and I'm sure during my era, you know, kids were getting undeserved trophies. But in the 90s, it blew up. Everybody got a trophy. Everybody got a gold sticker. So basically, um, our culture is narcissistic to begin with, but in the 90s, it really exploded. And now we have two generations. Once again, I'm going to reiterate, this is just a generalization, not, not, not a broad brush, not everyone. But we've basically raised two generations of narcissists. And... Um, you know, we're, we're paying, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that narcissism in our day-to-day -day lives and especially on the internet. Oh, 
to get back to um, the, you know, insulting people about their intelligence thing. It would behoove you, even if you're not trying to follow Jesus Christ, to remember this principle. There are people smarter than you. You are on the internet. You don't know these people personally. At least not everybody that you interact with on the internet you know personally. I, I would hazard a guess that it's the majority of the people that you deal with on the internet. You don't know them personally. You don't know what they've achieved, what they have, who they are, how they're going to react. So it would behoove you to remember that, okay, let's, let's give an example. Let's just say you have a, a doctorate in history and you're on some board somewhere and somebody posts something that you think is stupid. Before you launch your thunderbolts from Mount Olympus at that person, remember this concept if you can. You may have a doctorate. You may have a doctorate in uh, history. You may know that period of history inside now. The people, though, that you're about ready to insult, though, because, like I said, the majority of the people that you interact with in the internet, you have no idea who they are, what they're about. So, that person, okay, you've got the PhD or the doctorate in uh, history. Well, the person you're interacting with may have a doctorate in um, physics and is not well versed in history. They may be an architect. They may be a uh, a physicist. They may be a plumber. They may be a electrician. And they may be a uh, carpenter. Now, given that we're in prison era, those last three examples, I'm almost willing to bet, or a mechanic for that matter. Um, those, those last four examples, I'm willing to bet that the majority of you are not skilled in. Notice I said majority. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, what I consider to be the working class, the working Joes may give me a chance. But if they don't, that's fine. But what I'm saying is, you know, how many of you know how to build a rocket? How many of you know how to design a nuclear power plant? How many of you know how to repair a V8 uh, with four pistons? And, you know, even I don't <laughs> I'm I'm mechanically not inclined, but you get my point. So, like I said, it just try to remember that principle. And if you're the type of person, oh, he's full of crap. He doesn't know what hell heck he's talking about. Well, <laughs> quite frankly, <laughs> you know, it's on you. It's on you. Now, a spiritual principle is your education, your job, your social status, your attractive spouse, the things that you own won't mean anything when you get judged by God. There's an old, there's an old saying, and when I say old, I mean this was a saying maybe 100, 150 years back. And that saying was, you can't take it with you. Now, there's, there's a spiritual principle, actually more than one. Um, it's kind of a deep subject, but I'll try to keep it as brief and as generalized as I can. When you go before God, Let's 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 take Bill Gates' example because Bill Gates is considered by the secular world to be wildly successful. Um so he goes before God. 
God isn't going to look at his company that, you know, he built. God's not going to look at his intelligence or his academic record. God's going to look at, did you do my will on earth? Did you follow me faithfully? And if Bill Gates, well, it's God, so he already knows the answer. So Bill Gates, and I don't know Bill Gates personally, but um, for all I know, he could be a traditional Catholic, but given his actions, I would seriously doubt that, you know, he's a true Catholic. Um, so he's already going to know he's toast. If he even has the dimmest understanding of how Christianity works. Now, that brings me to another point. Because I noticed this especially, well, I've noticed this even in people calling themselves true Catholics. That, oh, I, I went to school and I busted my hump for four years and, and I saved my money and I started my own business and I worked for the first five years without a vacation and, you know, I built it up. I built, I did this, I did that. And it's a general principle. I realize atheists and agnostics are going to disagree with me violently. And that's fine. But, you know, the, the, the stuff you get, the attractive spouse, the large house, the great job that pays six figures, the two or three cars, the cabin in the mountains, the five or six TVs, the fancy clothes you wear, your friends. Guess what? That's not you, brother. Not you. God gave you those blessings. He gave you life and he also blessed you. And it is a serious, important principle that it even says in the New Testament that you're supposed to give glory to God and not, you know, not brag on yourself because you didn't do nothing. God gave you the blessings. And in case somebody takes the surface view of this and says, well, what about the part where he worked for five years without taking a vacation? Your personal attitudes and, and principles and behaviors, um, that's also from God. That's not from you. He endowed you with that drive. He endowed you with that ambition. He endowed you with the, the nice home life that you have. That in, in, enabled you to grow up to be a decent human being. That wasn't you and it wasn't your parents. God blessed you on that. And um, another thing too is, is uh, you know, um, let's just say that, well, uh, you know, oh, okay, I've been to college. The, the whole college thing. Well, God bless you with parents that could make enough money to send you to college. God bless you with the intelligence to get into college. Um, and if you if you went if you got a scholarship and had to work your way through school, well, God, first of all, blessed you with the scholarship. He blessed you with the intelligence to get into school. And then he gave you the drive and determination to bust your hump to get through school. My basic bottom line is, guys, you can take credit for nothing. Nothing. All of it was given to you by God. And, you know, in case I have to make the point, I'm going to make it anyway. Um, nothing that you think you own. Nothing is actually yours. Everything that you own, everything that you have been, everything that you will be is a gift from God. And if you're even remotely serious about being a sincere follower of him, you need to keep that principle in mind because it is a, a, a serious spiritual principle. And like I said, I've, I've, I've heard people calling themselves 
true Catholics who forget this principle. So I'm not singling any particular group out. Saying, and by the way, um, it bears repeating a lot of the stuff I'm talking about, I've been guilty of. And, and there are occasions when I am guilty and I forget to thank God for whatever blessing happened to me that day. That brings me to a sub-point. There, this has always been a kind of like the zeitgeist, even when I was coming up. But it's really bad now. Really bad. And the, the, the zeitgeist is, and by the way, one of the heresies of the Vatican II religion is that they teach this principle. And basically the principle is, well, you know, um, if you're a nice person and, and you do nice things, you're going to get to heaven. You know, if you're a Muslim, you're going to get, you know, and you do nice things, you're going to heaven. If you're a Hindu and you do nice things, you're going to heaven. You know, um, that's not the way it works. Um, God is not a lawyer. On the same token, he does have expectations that he expects you to follow. Like anything else, it's like life. The principle's the same. When you take a job, you're, you're, you're expected to fulfill certain obligations. If you join the military, you're expected to fulfill certain obligations. And if you don't, you get in trouble. But you can read the New Testament. And by the way, those, those of you who are allergic to reading, the New Testament isn't that long. It is not that long. Some of the epistles in the New Testament are less than three pages long. Okay? So, this isn't a chore, but I've done reading of the New Testament. I've read the Gospels and I've read the epistles. And nowhere in my reading of those did it say, well, if you, if you donate you know, money to the Red Cross and you feed the homeless on your days off and you work for Habitat for Humanity on your vacations, it, nowhere in there does it say, oh, yeah, you're getting into heaven. It doesn't say that. But that's the zeitgeist. Oh, I'm just a nice guy. Or, or and I'll get into this on a later episode, there's the, well, all I got to do is say a little prayer that I love Jesus and I'm getting into heaven. No. That's unscriptural, unscriptural, um, and it's and it's heretical. I mean, by the way, that that little bit of what they call theology does not even work if you take the whole, you know, uh, if it's if it's if it's if it's not in the Bible, I won't listen to it. Well, guess what? That particular theology in quotes is not in the Bible. So good luck with that. Um, here's another thing too. Because we're a shallow narcissistic society, we go by appearances. So say like the guy you work with, we'll call him Jim. Jim's a real fun-loving, nice guy. You know, you need a few bucks, he'll lend it to you. He'll tell you, yeah, you don't have to pay me back. I'm cool. And, you know, on his off time, he's, he's going down to the local soup kitchen and, you know, whatever. Well, that's the public appearance. Now, if he's at home and he's banging women that aren't his wife and doing the most perverse crap with them, if he's downloading depraved porn, if he's smoking crack and robbing uh, local pharmacies, if he if he gets drunk at the bar and beats the crap out of random strangers because they made him mad, guess what? He's going to have to answer for that. The other extracurricular quote-unquote nice stuff he was doing isn't going to matter to God. Because we all ultimately have to answer the question, and I'm including myself in this, did you follow me? 
Did you try to do my will? And did you love me? And that falls into the right face, correct face. Um, I'm going to get into that later. Now, people prefer a comfortable lie than a hard truth. This particular principle especially came apparent to me over the past 10 years. And basically what it means is if somebody tells them a hard truth and that hard truth requires work and requires a serious change in attitude and maybe even social status, People will find an excuse to, to downplay it, say, oh, I can't follow that. It's oh, terrible. They'll follow, they, you know, they'll, they'll do that. And part of what I was just talking about is what I call cognitive dissonance. Um, it's always cognitive dissonance has been around for a long time. Longer than any of us and longer before that. But I've noticed that over the past 10 years, this has become an issue. Or as I like to say, denial is not just a river in Egypt. And if you if you never heard that expression or don't know what it means, ask anybody over 40 or you can use your Google and ask them what it means. But... um. I know that since my 20s, that that's, that's been a saying, probably longer than um, when I was in my 20s. And cognitive dissidence, without getting too deep in the weeds, basically breaks down into um, following a, a thought to its logical progression. And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, okay? But I'm going to use the example of the Protestant revolt. Martin Luther, when he did his revolt against the Catholic Church, at that time, all of Europe was known as Christendom. It was basically Catholic, and there were you know, it depended on the kingdom or whatever, but basically they operated under true Catholic teachings. And then Martin Luther does his revolt and tells people, no, you don't need, you don't need the Pope to lead you spiritually. Um, you know, just pick up a Bible, read it. You're cool. You know, you're your own ultimate judge. He, he spreads that heresy. And then when, Christendom collapses and Martin Luther needed German princes to protect him from being taken to jail because he's a heretic. And those princes that are protecting him, their peasants are revolting because basically Martin Luther said, hey, you know, if you're unhappy, you don't like your situation, pick up a pitchfork and revolt. Now, he didn't say it in those kind of terms, but that was the logical implication of what he was teaching. And I will do a future episode on that, um, on Martin Luther. Um, but... Anybody who's read his biography, when the peasants started revolting against the princes and when the people that he told read the Bible and follow your own conscience started drinking and carousing and, and being animals, he was actually shocked. He was actually shocked. I can't believe it came to this. I can't. That's because he didn't take he didn't think about the lot. He didn't follow his ideas to their logical conclusions. Uh, I know that got kind of long-winded, but basically the basis for cognitive dissonance is 
is the unwillingness to take an idea to its logical conclusion. Because the logical conclusion is uncomfortable. The logical conclusion means that you have to change everything about yourself. The logical conclusion that you actually have to do work, you know, actual hard work and, 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 you know, to, to, to change the situation that you don't want to happen. That's cognitive dissonance. Uh, I may cover this subject in more detail later, but uh, if I feel real a real pull to do it, I will. But uh, for right now, as the guy on Seinfeld said, I have larger fish to fry. Now, another principle is the willingness to take honest criticism. Now, when I say honest criticism, I'm not talking if you're on on the internet and some rando guy, you know, says, oh, you're stupid, lar, uh, no, I'm sorry, lol, you're stupid. Well, you know, obviously, you know, you don't know this guy, so he can go stu- get stuffed. I'm talking about people who know you, relatives, best friends, people who know you intimately. And if they, if they give you honest criticism and you know they're coming from a good place, then it, it would behoove you to um, do some soul searching and, and try to pinpoint how you can take that fault and t- turn it into a uh, turn it into a positive. Um, and by the way, and I'm speaking from personal experience on this one, if you've known somebody, you know, let's say you're in your 40s or your 50s and you've known somebody for over 25 years. And you know this person's honest, but they've got, you know, because you know each other so well, you've seen him at his best, you've seen him at his worst. And he gives you some honest criticism. You know it's honest. Don't fall for the easy temptation of going for the uh, surface view. Oh, well, Bob told me such and such, but he likes to drink on weekends and he smokes weed with some pretty shady characters. I can't take that dude seriously. You know, because going back to a previous principle, yeah, Bob may have these character faults, but he's seen your character faults too. So don't don't get it twisted. You know, don't get it twisted and think that you're better than he is and you don't have to listen. If you're wise, you will. And you'll work on it. Because you know that this dude's basically honest and he's never lied to you. Okay. Um... Like I said, there's a lot of narcissism in today's society. This is more of a spiritual principle. In the book of, uh, in the gospel according to St. John, he talks about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. And John the Baptist's role in Jesus' ministry was to prepare the ground for Jesus, for his ministry, for his, you know, his teachings. And he used to preach and, uh, you know, preach and baptize. Well, he gets word from his followers, hey, you know, Jesus is coming and, you know, he's he's, he's ministering, you know, aren't you going to make him be quiet? Now, you know, uh, St. John the Baptist, like I said, he's Jesus's cousin. So he knew. 
he knew what his role was. His role was to prepare the way for Jesus. And then once Jesus took over, he was going to go to the background. And he told his followers, I must decrease so he may increase. Well, that same, that same attitude, if you're, if you're trying to follow Jesus Christ as best as you can, that same attitude could be applied in your own life. Meaning that your, your personal faults, your, your, your personal sins, they have to decrease so that Jesus can come in and increase and you become more like him and less like yourself. So there's that. I want to add one more thing. And I've, I'm, I'm particularly referring to the people who consider themselves set of a contest or true Catholics. There's a, there's a, uh, attitude amongst some of them that um basically they're basically the same people now as they were when they got baptized and there is a saying in the true catholic church that we're in the world but we're not supposed to be a part of it and there have been some saints in, in Catholic history who have said that your, your, um, your, your, you're supposed to be the odd one out. If the rest of society's being, you know, animalistic, you're not supposed to be that way if you're following Jesus sincerely. You're supposed, you know, you're supposed to stand out. You, you know, and by the way, this is one of the hardest teachings for some of you that you'll ever hear. You're, you're, you're supposed to become the outcast. You know, what they consider the outcast. But, um, and part of this attitude too is, is sentimentality. You know, I've heard, you know, Boomer said of a contest, oh, in the 50s, the Catholic Church. Uh, was 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 perfect and you know no it wasn't if the catholic church had been perfect in the 50s and by the way if you do a reading of church history the catholic church has never been perfect even from the beginning 11 out of the 12 disciples were good and one of them betrayed jesus so you know the catholic church has never been perfect okay but you know, if you fall into the, the trap of sentimentality and you say, you know, such and such era was all great. Now, I'll go back to the boomer example of the 50s. Well, if the 50s had been as great as you think it was, we wouldn't have the Vatican II Council and true Catholicism wouldn't be in the position that it's in right now. And part of it, too, is is sloth or laziness, you know, um, not attempting to grow, you know, not attempting to try to try to grow closer to Jesus. You know, if you're not acting any better than the secular people on whatever platform, oh, it doesn't even need to be an internet platform. It could be just in general life. You know, if you consider yourself a true Catholic, but you're going out with your, your buddies and you're getting sloshed and banging prostitutes, <laughs> you know, you're no better than they are. And you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have any, any, you should be basically, as they used to tell me when I was a kid, you should be ashamed of yourself. Okay, criticism without charity intact is spiritual brutality. That's, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty self-explanatory. Give mercy and you'll receive mercy. That's, that runs throughout the entire New Testament, Gospels and Epistles. Um, you know, 
like I like I stated earlier. Now, when I say give mercy and you'll receive mercy, I'm not I'm not saying that you can't defend your life, your property, or your family. I'm not saying that. But I what I am saying is your day-to-day interactions with regular humans, if you show them charity and mercy, you're gonna get it when you go before Jesus. Okay. My closing remarks are going to be these podcasts, they're they're not, you know, um, they're not uh, some of my criticisms of the set of a contest or the true Catholic podcast is they're kind of insider baseball. They're kind of they're kind of written for Catholics who are I apologize, guys. Um as I said, I want to keep the uh, background noise to the minimum. Uh, I uh, occasionally I don't live in the best neighborhood. Um, I'll I'll have some rando just bang on my door and run off, and I guess because it amuses them. Uh, I was on my closing remarks, and the closing remarks are. Um. This is not, I am not a specialist. My attitude toward um, gathering information has always been, I would rather have a medium understanding of a particular topic than I'm interested in for the general reason that if you want to be a specialist, you have to, you have to ignore everything around you except what you're researching and having listened to um phds in certain areas um i'm talking about college professors um these people and i grant that we're talking about academics but these people lead a very sheltered life and that's not something i've led so um i i like to keep i like to keep uh, my knowledge broad, but I, at the same token, I want to get enough information that I can speak intelligently about what I'm, what I'm interested in. Having said that, one of my criticisms of the set of a contest or, um, true Catholic podcasts, um, that some of them I listen to, they're insider baseball. Um, the, the the bishops and priests that get interviewed, I'm not saying all of them, but uh, set of a contest. If you do ever consume an, a, a real serious set of a contest podcast, um, they have a what I consider to be an archaic way of pronouncing Old Testament books. Um, basically set of a contest like to stick to the Douay Reigns Bible, which just, just for your general information, the Douay Reigns is the King James version for Catholics, except that it came before the King James version. And a lot of what's in the King James version actually got lifted from the Douay Reigns. But so we're talking the 16th century. So it's written in a 16th century English. Now, I understand why they read the Dewey Reigns, because you can't trust any modern, and when I say modern, I'm saying anything after, you know, 1890. Um, you can't trust those Bibles because they especially the Bibles that came out after Vatican II, they're filled with the Vatican II um, errors. And, you know, they purposely, you know, they, 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 they purposely mislead. So I understand why the set of accounts is used to do your aims. My criticism, though, is that if you listen to some set of accounts podcast, 
They'll use archaic terms. And what I mean, I've, I've already said that, but basically um, with some of the books in the old, they'll call Isaiah, Isaiah's. They'll call, um, they're, they're just, Isaiah's, when they call it Isaiah's, that's how it's printed in Dewey Rames. What I'm saying is, is that they use these archaic pronounce, uh, pronunciations from the 1500s. Well, if you're talking to an audience that's already familiar with the concepts and the terms, um, it's not an issue. They're going to understand. I'm not talking to set of a contest, honestly. I mean, there's going to be a couple, two, three episodes where I will have an episode devoted to Sedvacantis. But for the most part, my goal is, is um, athe open-minded atheists and agnostics and open-minded Protestants and open-minded Vatican II people. Because in my experience, Vatican II people aren't very well informed about their quote-unquote religion. But so when I said I'm going to keep the jargon to a minimum, you know, I'm going to use tw uh, 21st century English, you know, um, you know, I'm going to use 21st century English. And just as a personal aside, when I hear arcane language in um, social media or in podcasts, um, my, my initial impression, and I try to be very, um, charitable. So I try to take in each case individually, but whenever I hear archaic language or, um, strange words that aren't used in common everyday English, I tend to become suspicious and suspect that there might be a little bit of, uh, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, pretentious, pretentiousness. So, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm shooting for with, with these broadcasts. I'm not trying to, you know, I, I, it's a draw, uh, a broad general information for a broad general audience that, you know, is maybe ignorant of the information I'm talking about. Now, um, St. Paul said in, in one of his epistles, there's nothing new under the sun. What he means by this, and you have to bear in mind, this has been over 2,000 years ago. Basically, what he's saying is everything, all of human knowledge at one time or another has been thought of, has been written about, has, has been spoken about. Um, there, there are no new ideas. I mean, and at this point, you know, we're, we're talking 2,000 years ago. Imagine what it's like now, you know, 2,000 years later. Imagine what that's like now. <laughs> but, um, uh, the reason I say this is, I'm you know, for those of you who have done research or read a few books or whatever, you know, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, this guy ain't telling me nothing I don't already know. And that may be true, but my advice would be um, if, if I'm not helping you in any way, don't. You know, don't stay on this channel. Move on to where you'll get your information. Um, I'm not, you know, like I said, viewer counts and clicks doesn't really matter. Okay, so in closing, in closing, Bob Dylan had a song back in the 60s. For those of you who have never heard of Bob Dylan, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you that are over 40, and especially over 50, have heard of Bob Dylan. But for those of you who didn't, um, he was a singer from the 60s. 
and he wrote a song. I don't know if this was the name of the song or if it was the lyrics, but he wrote, you don't have to be a weatherman to see which way the wind's blowing. Okay. And by the way, another useless piece of information. Um, for those of you who follow politics, the reason that the Weather Underground took their name was they were taking, they were called weathermen. And they were, they were basically, you know, using that lyric to be part of their political philosophy. Now, what Bob Dylan was talking about is there's a lot of appeals to authority uh, in modern society. Well, have you been to college? Do you know? Give me, give me, give me hard evidence. Give me hard evidence. Sometimes, you know, this is just just a general uh, thought, but sometimes you don't have documentation, you know? Um, just because there's no hard documentation on the Masons, just because there's no um, hard documentation about the world, New World Order, there's just bits and pieces, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. Sometimes you have to use your common sense. You know, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Now, those of you who are particularly observant, you've you probably know, been noticing the same trends that I have. And those trends, um, I have a hunch that it, no, the, 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 the infection thing, that's not ending. As a matter of fact, I think it's going to get worse. Uh, I have a hunch it's going to get worse. And I believe that we're heading to a confrontation. Now, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a seer. Couldn't tell you when, couldn't give you the place, none of that. But anybody with, with two eyes and a brainstem and a little common sense knows that where this is heading is not good. There's going to be a major confrontation. And if my hunch is correct, um, when this dumpster fire of a society blows up the way I suspect it may, the world as we know it is over. Everything that you grew up with, everything that you know, it's over. We're going to be living in, in completely and utterly different times. You know, if you guys want to think I'm being overly dramatic and, you know, conspiratorial, that's, 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 that's fine. I don't care. But, um, what uh the reason I'm mentioning this though um if if society implodes the way I suspect, I just want to leave you with this thought um if it implodes, like I said, I, I, I think it's going to be like nothing that we've experienced in our lifetimes. Even those of you who are in your 60s or 70s, it's going to be like nothing you've ever experienced. And one of the purposes of this podcast, the Catholic Church, the true Catholic Church, not that Vatican II abortion, has been called the Ark of Salvation. And... My purpose for doing this is to get as many people on the Ark of Salvation, you know, letting, letting me be the tool of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm totally obedient to his spirit and that his spirit is working through me to get as many people on this Ark as possible before things go really south. Because when they really go south, um, 
unless you're blessed by God, this may be it. So that's that's the end of the introduction. I just want to say in closing, I really appreciate your time and attention. And I do mean that sincerely. If you've gotten this far into the introduction, you spent time and attention, and I really appreciate that. Now, if you have any honest questions or comments, if there's a comment section, go ahead and leave them. And if, you, if you're respectable toward me, I can promise you I'll be respectable toward you. But if I if I sense that you know you're you're dishonest and you, you just you know you want to play internet games, I won't have nothing to do with you. Thank you very much for listening. God bless you. And I I sincerely pray that you guys will join the true Catholic Church and get started on your business of salvation. God bless you. Thank you very much. Goodbye.